Welcome to Managing Projects, the podcast for project managers in search of trends and insights. Join us as our guests dig deep into the thought-provoking topics that matter most to project management professionals. You can find all the episodes at managingprojects.ca. And now, here's your host, Ron Smith. This is the second talk in a two-part series that we have with World Vision. If you didn't hear the first episode, I would strongly encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. So let's get back to the second part of the chat that we had with Miriam, Amira, and Chris. So Amira, I understand you're from Albania and you used to directly manage an area development program. Can you just describe this experience? Uh, what would you do if things did not go according to plan? Sure, yeah. So I, I worked with uh, World Vision Albania uh, for eight years as a program manager. And our work was uh, mostly focused in rural areas as the most vulnerable families and children were located in those areas. So uh, I'd say that successes and challenges are both part of the re reality, especially when you work in the field and the needs of the communities change very fast. I can give you, I can bring here an example of uh, the hard realities and the, um, how the needs change very, very fast in the communities. Uh, we were, once we were designing the plans for five years period, and according to the community needs, the focus of the projects would be in education, child protection, economic development, and child sponsorship as one of the main pillars of our work. So the design document was like finalized and ready to uh, be sent to the donor. And uh, in the same time, uh, there was a, another separate assessment that was being conducted in communities. And the purpose of that assessment was to measure the household quality of life. The assessment results were based both in primary data collection and secondary data analysis as well. And one of the questions was related with HIV AIDS awareness, advocacy, and prevention at that time. So uh, the results of this assessment showed that the households were either not aware at all about HIV AIDS, or there was stigma and taboo about it, mm -hmm. and they did not like to talk at all about HIV. Um, I can share example, an answer from, from a woman in, in one of the villages when she was asked about uh, the fact if she was aware about HIV AIDS and what does this mean? She answered, um, her answer was like this, like, God forbidden, I will never buy this food for my children, my family. So uh, she she had no clue, she had no idea about like what HIV AIDS and right. uh, for sure, how can you prevent something if you're not aware of that? So in the other side, the secondary data collection uh, that were analyzed by health department showed that the number of people being positive uh, to HIV AIDS was increasing from year to year. So finding myself in this scenario as a project manager uh, and based on the community needs, um, we had to revise our designs and our plans and include health as a sector that World Vision would be focusing in communities in the future. So in this scenario, we had to go back to the donor to ask for extra time, to ask for a second revision of our designs. So this is just one example and one project 
showing how important it is to be flexible and to adapt to the needs of the communities, especially when you work directly in the field. So I've heard of a, a, a couple of examples. Chris had just given an example a few minutes ago of Kendra who had a stand that was, she had begun the process of selling and then it got washed away in a flood. Um, I, I can just imagine all the different variability of these projects. So sometimes it would be, you know, a physical impact of a, a storm or a flood or political unrest to realizing that you are dealing with these major health issues and concerns. That's right. So in, in the example that you gave, did you add to the scope of the project health or did it impact what you were planning on doing on the education or the child protection or economic development, what the first, the first stage of your plan was, or did you just add to it? That's a good question. No, we just added to the plan. Uh, thankfully, we did not have to uh, remove any of uh, the previous projects that were planned but we added uh, on, the, on the top of this, um, on the top of our design health. health. Basically, it was advocacy at that time. And then in the years to come, uh, the, the project was developed, in, 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 um, including other stages as well. The addition to the project was around the HIV. Was it simply around awareness or was it, you know, dealing with it? Mm -hmm. At the first stage was advocacy and awareness. And then in the fourth and the fifth year of the project, uh, we were able to identify people that were like infected with HIV AIDS and to work with them and with their families to support them like uh, from the economical perspective as well. So yeah, that, that was uh, the, pretty much the intervention that right. we, uh, we did at that time. Mm -hmm. They're heavy projects. Um, so when I, when I again, when so my project management experience has been around, you know, working for a corporate company, building a product or, or some type of service, and um, it's only as fulfilling as you're you're helping that company to to meet some type of financial goals or or that kind of thing. You must find it um, uh, rewarding or a sense of you are helping in in these global issues. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Uh, of course, like um, like as I said, the work of the project manager is like uh, is uh, is is challenging in a way, but is rewarding in in the other in the other aspect because when you see that with the support and with the projects you are you're running in the communities, you see change in lives of children, you change <clears throat> you see change in the lives of women and families. I think that's the most rewarding aspect of of, of the project of of our work as project manager. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Miriam, I, I want to ask you, uh, you've had field experience living in the Sudan and South Africa. What's project management in the field mean to you? Can you can you give some examples from the Sudan? Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I'll actually give one from South Africa, Ron. I really think in my field experience over the past few years uh, and, and the past decade, really working, working in the field and, and also here in Canada, I've really learned that you you have to really understand the root cause of the problem that you're trying to solve. And, and so often, you know, we think we know the solution and we think, you know, that, that it can be quite linear where, you know, if you train the teacher, then they will teach the children better, who will then learn to read, who will then graduate and, and have a better life. And, and so you have this linear path 
that, that you think in, in project management is going to yield a particular result. And we all know that that life is not like that, especially in these contexts, as you've heard from Chris and Amira, it's, it's much more challenging than that. And so I think I've really, really learned that you, you really have to look at the root cause of the problem and, and be sure that you're addressing it in the right way. So, so when I worked in South Africa, you know, one of, one of the biggest issues was gender-based violence and violence against women is extremely high there. And so, you know, we were trying as World Vision to address that and really thinking about doing a good analysis of what was the root cause and, and what we found was it really came back to some of the cultural norms and interpretations that that people had of the differences between men and women um, and and even some of the faith leaders were, were were kind of using the bible and interpreting the bible in a certain way to thinking that that men were more superior than than women. And so one of the projects we had was actually working with them to to you know being a Christian organization we could sort of work with them to look at how is the bible interpreting this is there you know is there essentially equality between men and women and how do we understand this at 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 the most basic level. And so taking time to think through cultural traditions and norms, faith traditions and how that helps us inform our perceptions and therefore our actions and what we do really helped bring transformation to to some of this violence that was happening in the communities and and I remember some pastors coming up to me and saying yes I I'm now helping my wife in the home I'm helping her to do tasks in the kitchen and help to get firewood and 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 not just expect that she will do everything for me. Um, and so I really could see some of the transformation between gender norms happening there, um, which was really exciting to see. So you so again, you really have to look at what is the root cause here? How do we understand that? And how do we address it to, to bring about social change? Well, that's so interesting. So you would work with these pastors that are on the ground, embedded in the communities, and, and you would begin some of your education and your teaching through them. For them to, to you know speak out and to start some of these uh some of these cultural changes would be spoken out through the pastors of their churches and and who they are working with in their communities absolutely and then they become you know once they themselves are transformed in their own lives then they become change agents because they're very influential leaders in the community so they can talk in their churches they can talk in the communities and they can inspire further change and so it's just a rippling effect you know i've heard it said before um people who go on mission trips or if they go to some of these countries i think as you know north americans sometimes I've heard them have the attitude, oh, it's this is a piece of cake, this, you know, get out of the way, I'll just roll up my sleeves, we'll fix whatever's there. And and what I've heard from people who I've spoken with who have gone on these trips is it's not that way. It's, um, uh-huh. you need to be working with the community for this type of change to be happening. Um, and it needs to, so, so that it's long running as well, so it doesn't revert back after you leave. Uh, I, I bet that it is complicated to have some of these social norms that are built up over decades mm-hmm. and uh, to try to address some of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's the great advantage of, um, you know, of our, of our child sponsorship model, because it does enable us to be in a community for 15 years and, and, or more sometimes, and we can really get to know local leaders help to, to change perceptions and, and, and uh, you know, it's not just going in and out um, in, in one or two years or, or on a short-term trip, like you were saying. 
Um, it's it's really working with the community to inspire social change over over a long period that ultimately will impact the lives of children. And these communities become sustainable. I've been to these communities where you know people will say, "Okay, World Vision, we're done. We can we can do it on our own. We don't need you anymore." And that's that's the most exciting thing too that that then they are able to continue to to create an environment where children will thrive without us being there. That is absolutely fantastic. Fantastic. Now, on my way in this morning, I was speaking with a colleague of mine and I was so excited about this interview and I was telling them, you know, I'm interviewing World Vision this afternoon. Um, I was very <laughs> excited. And the, the person I was speaking with, though, said, you know, I've thought of doing that. I've thought of sponsoring a child and I don't know where to start. I don't know how one would go about doing that. So please, would you would you tell us? And and for the folks listening, for our listeners, I will be putting links to how to sponsor a child. Um, World Vision was kind enough to send me some links, some YouTube videos of some programs that are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, the the project that Chris had spoke about. I understand that there's a, a video being produced that I will put up as soon as I can, as soon as it's available to me, on the show notes on the webpage on managing projects. Before I let you go, what are the different ways to get involved? Um, one, I know that you're going to say is sponsoring a child, um, but just walk me through that. How, how do you go about doing that? Absolutely. Yeah. And thanks so much, Ron, for, for um, putting up the links for us in the videos. And, and we hope your listeners will check them out. It's, it's really easy. There'll be a link to, to sponsor a child. You just click on the link and, and it will take you to the page. And, and you can actually choose, um, you know, a, a particular child from a particular country that you might be interested in. Um, I know people who sponsor a child for every, uh, you know, the same age as every child that they have in their family. It's a great way to, to, to show your children, you know, what poverty is and, and how to connect with someone in a different part of the world. Your children can even write to the child and, and communicate with them. And, and it's, it's, it's a great way to foster that personal connection. So go on the website, pick a child. They'll send you all the information about your, your child's community, about the needs in that community, and about what your money will be going to support. Um, and then you'll get updates throughout the year of, of how your child is doing and, and what's happening in the community as well. And then just, you know, other ways to get involved is, is just to be you know, an advocate, understanding what's happening in the world, understanding that there's, you know, we're so lucky here in Canada and that there's children in so much need um, around the world and, and really being an advocate for that and telling others, I think is a great way, great way to get involved as well. One of the videos that I have that I'm going to post that you provided was a child who um, was a very young child. I think he was 10 and he was picking coffee instead of being in school and very long days. And it was very striking to say, I think he started at, it was something crazy like five in the morning till seven at night or something. I might have that wrong, but it was something like that. It was an extremely long day. And uh, when you think about, you know, children who grew up in North America, they, they need to be shown that that is happening in the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, you know, when you hear those stories about what children are facing, whether it's working or, or, or facing abuse or just, or just hungry and not able to get food, um, you know, your heart just breaks and, and, and you really have to do something because we're so, you know, you don't control where you're born in the world and we're so lucky here. And it's, you're right. We have to, we have to tell our children that, that there's other children that need help so much. I think one aspect that we haven't really touched on, but is really critical too, is World Vision is is there in the 
the places of the world that are hardest, the hardest places of the world. So, you know, countries like Sudan or Somalia right now, where, you know, there's, there's conflict, there's hunger, you know, recurring drought, just very fragile places where children are often forced out of their homes. So they're on the move, they could be in refugee camps. Um, and, you know, very volatile situations. And World Vision is, is, is often one of the first on the ground, the first to respond with emergency supplies. And, you know, that, that looks a bit different than our sponsorship programs because, you know, you can't, those, those are places which are, you have to respond very, very quickly. You have to give, you know, distribute food and distribute emergency life-saving nutrition. And it's less about training, but more about just giving basic needs for survival. But we're in those contexts too all over the world and we're committed to being there even when it's difficult even when we face insecurity from from militant groups um you know our staff are on the ground responding and 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 we're there until we we hope to be able to move into a more stable stable context where people can then begin to rebuild their lives and and where children can go to school again and where they can start a project like like Youth Ready that Chris was talking about, where we're focusing more on entrepreneurship and, and skills development and all of that. So so we're there in emergencies, we're there in the long-term sustainable contexts and, and really trying to to meet meet um all of those different needs. But we can't do it without uh, without the support of Canadians. So we really do appreciate your listeners and and you know we we really seek your yeah continual support to make this happen. Um, and, and, and just a, a huge thanks to those who are already supporting us because it, it really does go a long way. You, you know, I've met a, a few people in the last year or two who were uh, sponsored children. They've, they've gone through, one was an orphan and um, another one had gone through the, the sponsorship program. And I don't know what my expectations were of them after they, they went through, but I learned that the one that was an, an orphan that was supported, she had been working with this organization. It wasn't World Vision. It was another organization that had helped her. But what surprised me was that they were able to help her to such an extent that she was provided with education. She was provided with care. She went to university. And I was surprised to hear her story. She went and she started working for a uh, telco locally. And and then she gave up working in um, the telco to go back to work with that organization mm. because she was so drawn to it and thought, you know, that's the work that I want to be doing because it's so much more fulfilling. That's, you know, they, they gave so much to me. But I think what if those programs weren't there? Mm. Um, what chance does an orphan have? Mm-hmm with those types of programs. So, so thank you to Amira and to Chris and to Miriam for your time today. Thank you for your work. I think it's very, it's, uh, you must find it uh, rewarding, but it must be kind of, it must kind of beat you up some days as well to be in, to be in the trenches there. So thank you for that. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, and I do uh, urge the, the listeners to, to check out these links. Uh, if you have not sponsored a child before, you should go to the website there. I'll have a link. It's a very easy process. Um, if you have sponsored one, consider another. Um, <laughs> yes. Thank you so much, all of you, for your time today. I appreciate you very much. Thank you so much for having us, Ron. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. Thank you much, Ron. 
Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Managing Projects podcast. Find show notes and more at managingprojects.ca and follow us on Twitter at manage underscore P-R-O-J. If you enjoy the show, help us out by recommending it to a friend or leaving a review on iTunes. Talk to you next time.